All right, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad to be here. I love family vacation. Here's the reason why. Uh, about, oh goodness, uh, about 12, 11, 12 years ago, one of my first lessons that I taught in front of people was at a family vacation. They gave me a keynote. We didn't vet speakers very well back then. So, uh, no, I'm joking. They, uh, they, uh, they gave me a keynote. And I got to be honest, it's just always have had a special place in my heart. It's been really cool. I, I mean, I, uh, oh, I know that's TC. It's just being him. You know what? That guy. Huh? Back at him? All right. No, let's just get on. Let's just, let's be very, there's every ounce of me wants to do that, but I'm not. All right. And what's really funny, this is just an inside joke for all of us right here. All right. We always record these things. And uh, someone listening to this on the internet is going to hear all of that and hear that exchange and go, what just happened? And I'm, we're going to be like, ah, we know because we were here, but the internet people will not. So, and I'm not going to explain it. This is perk of being here. So, all right. I really love, really love this, le- the, the, this whole theme of this year. I love it. I love the vine in the branches. It's just so much fun to think about. So, but before we jump in, I want to do something. I want to say a prayer, all right? And in this prayer, I would like you guys to do something for me, all right? When I pray, pray for me, that God uses a knucklehead, all right? Can you pray that prayer? Just say, God, use this knucklehead, amen. And I'm going to pray for you guys. I'm going to pray that our hearts are open and our minds are open and our ears are open to what he has to say. Because here's the thing that I'm very sure of is that if we do what we're going to be talking about today, we can change things, and things will, be, will never be the same in a great way. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything you've given us. And God, I just pray with every ounce of me that the noise of the world, of all this week, of all the school things that have happened, and all of those things, Father God, they just melt away. They go away, Father God, I pray that, that as we dig into your word, that, God, we, one, get closer to you. But, God, you show us something about being in this world and shining for you, Father God, and not conforming to it. God, we want to be of this world. We want to be in this world and shine your light. But, God, honestly, we don't want to be like it. God, I can't tell you how badly, God, I don't want to be like the world anymore. It doesn't work. God, I thank you for this day. And God, I know that all these students here pray for me. Be with the knucklehead. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. So, I, uh, I, I, like I said, I like the vines. I like the vine, the whole thing. And here's the reason why. Have you ever dealt with a vine? I have. I've dealt with a vine. One time when I moved into a house, this was a little bit while back, I remember looking to my backyard, and it was one of those moments where you had like, it was an, I call it an old man moment, you know, where you had a cup of coffee, you get up in the morning, because you're an old man, all right? It's like, anything to you guys I know before seven's early, this was like six, you know, one hour before early for you guys. And then I grabbed my cup of coffee, I looked out of my backyard, I started drinking my coffee, and he was like, oh no. My half my yard of the new house that I just bought is covered in vines. Covered. 
It looked like a 1970 shag carpet in the backyard. And when I was looking at the house, I was like, it doesn't look that bad. I think we can take care of it. It wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. But after I bought the house and I realized I was going to have to do the work of picking up the vine, it wasn't going to be an easy job because the backyard was about as big as this room. And about half of it was covered in vines. I was like, ah, no problem. I'll just go to Home Depot. So I went to Home Depot. That's the place where you go if you're an old person and you had a house, all right? I went to Old Depot and I walked into the poison department for vines. And I said, you know what? I need your best vine killer, not the nay stuff. I don't want the generic things. I want the name brand name stuff. And the person was like, it's Roundup. And I was like, okay, Roundup, yes. I've declared war on the vine, yes. So I grabbed it and I put it where it was supposed to be and I mixed it in this little container that I bought because I bought a spray bottle. I just bought one of those spray bottles like you buy for your hair, you know? I bought a spray bottle and I put it in and I was like, ooh, yes, I'm going to get rid of the vine. And I went out there thinking, ha oh, vine, you're going to die. This is Roundup. I've seen the commercials. You can't stand here. And it said 24 hours, it'll be gone. I was like, yes, yes, victory. I sprayed it all over the vine, waited the 24 hours and it laughed at me actually it grew <laughs> it didn't grow just half the yard now it was like more than half the yard i had to make sure that i like i said i was a knucklehead i had to make sure that i didn't buy miracle grow and not poison control all right i looked at it i was like oh dang it so i called my uncle my uncle, who's a uh, farmer, if you don't know anything about farmers, they've de dedicated their whole life to killing weeds and vines. And I was like, yes, killing a weed, yes. Uncle, what must I do to do this? I feel like Thor talking like that, but I was thinking, it wasn't that epic. But anyway, uh, he said, I have this stuff, Clint, that you can't buy in the stores. I was like, now we're talking. Now we're talking. That's the kind of vine killer I want. He's, I said, what is it? He's called, it's farm strength. And I was like, ooh, just saying that made me go, yeah, vines don't stand a chance. So I got the farm strength roundup. I put the recommended amount into a bigger container, not just a spray bottle. It was one of those pump bottles, you know, that you carry around like that. I went and I put it in and I just got it and I was like, yes, good to go. I got a spray bottle. I got the poison. I used the recommended amount. And when I put, I'll never forget, when I put the poison in the bottle, in the, in the, in the container with all the water, it turned blue and it started to fizz. And I said, now we're talking. Now we're talking. This is the kind of killer I wanted. Farm strength. Yeah. So I put it together, I wrapped it all in, and then I went out there and it said, oh, it didn't say 24, this was so satisfying. It said, 16 hours and your vines will be gone. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. I went out there, I sprayed it. 16 hours later, the vine mocked me, sitting there. It was greener for some strange reason. It, wasn't even, it didn't even die, not a leaf died. And I was like, what is going on. And after that, I was a madman. It was no longer, I'm not going to use the recommended amounts. I'm going to get not just that spray bottle, I'm going to get the jet pack, you know, that you fill it full of water. And you know, I'm supposed to only use an eighth of a teaspoon as a recommended amount. Now forget that. Farm strength roundup. All of it is going in the poison thing. When I put it in, I'll never forget. I actually heard the pack go, no, <laughs> what are you doing? I actually heard that. I was like, yeah, now we're talking. And I put it on. 
And I went out there feeling like the Terminator to these little weeds going, say hello to my little friend. And I just went crazy all over that yard with that vine. It didn't die. I was thinking like 18 hours later, got up with my coffee. <laughs> Looking for, like apocalyptic. Now, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting like the vine going, you win, we retreat. Nothing. And I was sitting there going, dang. I remember calling my, my uncle after that, and I was like, Unc, I used all of it. He said, are you alive? <laughs> Apparently, you weren't supposed to breathe it in. I may have breathed it in. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I used all of it. And he was like, and it's still there? He said, it's still there. And he's like, that's some vine. And I went, it is. What do I do? He said, I don't know. When you stumped a farmer whose life goal is to remove that kind of stuff, you know you have some sort of vine. So I was like, all right. So what I did is I waited. He said, I want you to wait three weeks before you pull it up because you're going to have to manually pull this up. And I was like, okay. So I waited three weeks. I was like, why do I have to wait three weeks? He said, you put so much killer on it and poison on it that I'm really concerned that someone who puts it on their hands, their hands are just, I mean, you might poison them through their skin. So you don't want to do that. And I was like, I'm willing to take that bet. But for lawsuit reasons, I'll listen to you, Unc. Okay. <laughs> So we waited the three weeks, we ripped it up, and oh man, it was like, literally, you, you ripped it up, you cut underneath it, it was like a machete right there that you had to use, and you just rolled it up, and it was literally like rolling carpet. I filled four dumpsters full of this vine. And it occurred to me something, that it wasn't even the vine that I was dealing with. Because I sent pictures to my uncle, he said, you're not dealing with a vine. I said, what am I dealing with then? And he said, you're dealing with the branches. I was like, where's the vine? And he said, I want you to follow. So I went to, my, I went to the part where, where I thought the vine was, the main area, and I looked over, and the vine that it was connected to was two houses down. The main vine. That's where, that's where all of it was coming from. That's the original source. I was just dealing with the branches. I never looked at the verse the same, when Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. I tried everything in my power to kill that vine. But here's the thing. They're fruitful, they're uncaring, and they get everywhere. That is what we are supposed to be. That's what our lives are supposed to look like to the rest of the world. We grow closer to God. We grow so much in God that the world looks at us and goes, how are you doing that? You're growing beyond anything I have ever seen before. You are taking control and you are doing things I never thought possible. Your vine, the vine is huge and it can't be ignored. And the rest of the world looks at that and goes, wow, that's huge. And this is what makes Jesus so important because when we grow to the point where we can't be ignored, you can't ignore John 15, verse 19. Write that down. John 15, verse 19. Jesus says this, the world would love you if you belong to it, but it doesn't. For I, come, have, I chose you out of the world. You're no longer like every other plant. You are now vine. And because of that, the world will hate you. If you're in your Bible right now, circle that world hate. Why does it hate us? 
Well, that's a problem. The world doesn't hate us. The world hates Jesus. And here's the reason why it hates Jesus. One point, or one thing, is that Jesus, uh, the world hates Jesus because Jesus exposes the real problem, sin. He exposes the real problem, right? If you want to change, you know, it makes me laugh, and we think that this is a new thing. It's not a new thing, all right? I'm a person of history. I love history. I majored in history. I, I, I've done all sorts of really, I love it. I love it. History repeats itself over and over again. We think we're living in a world that's like, Clint, people want to change their genders. They don't know what bathroom to use. They, they're doing all of these things. A man saying he's pregnant. All this stuff is going on. And it's happened before. <laughs> happened in Rome. Nero was so crazy that he killed his, his uh, commander and army and made his horse the commander of army. Made his horse. And people had to listen to the horse like they were talking to the horse. And the horse, we're not that to the point yet. We live in crazy worlds. It's always been crazy, guys. The world's always not known what's the problem. And so we think if I just change my personality or I change my gender or I change my hair or I change my sex, then it will be no problem. But at that moment, you see, Jesus doesn't want you to change all those things. What he wants you to change, what he wants the world to change, is the one thing that they don't want to change. Who sits on the throne of your life? That's what he wants you to change. He wants, you to, cha he wants to change. He's like, you're worried about all these other things. You're worried about homosexuality. You're worried about money. You're worried about all these things. But I don't worry about that. I want you to change who sits on the throne of your life. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, he says, I know that nothing good in itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. That verse always has a, a really sweet spot with me, and here's the reason why. You know who wrote it? Paul. If you don't know anything about Paul, know this. He wrote most, he wrote most, he wrote most, turned Canadian there for a second. Uh, <laughs> he wrote most of our New Testament and he's the one saying, I don't get it. Knowing that, that he wrote most of the New Testament, he, 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 he settled churches, he, he planted churches all across. Everywhere he went, he was planting a church. And knowing that he's the one saying, there's nothing good in itself that does not dwell in me, it's in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good and I can't. I think the problem with us is we think that there are things within us that we're like, I have good things in me. And the problem is, we don't. We don't. Because Jesus wants to change some things in us. So, the world hates Jesus because he exposes the real problem. Sin. Second thing, the world hates Jesus because he exposes really what needs to change. You know, uh, I'll never forget this conversation. <laughs> I remember being in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I remember meeting some people that were, that were uh, supposedly Christians. And they lived a certain way, and, you know, it was, it was a really rough, it was a really confusing time, because I would see them do things, and they acted like my friends that weren't Christians. They would go party, they would go drink, they would go do all these other things. And so I was really confused on what a Christian looked like. You know, I didn't know that a Christian had standards, and a Christian didn't look like the world. I didn't know those sort of things, because when I grew up with, I partied with people on Saturday night. I partied with them, and those same people that I partied with on Saturday night went to church on Sunday morning. So, you know what? I'm going to skip the middle, man, because I have a hangover on Sunday morning. I'm just not going to go. That's what I thought. 
I, and I never forget in Albuquerque, I was around these group of people like that, and I said, you know what, guys? I think I have it flipped. I'm not going to party with you guys on Saturday night. I think I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. I think, I think I'm going to change. And I'll never forget the conversation that they had. They, um, their, their proposition for me stop drinking was this. They weren't going to hang out with me anymore because they didn't want me to stumble. I'll never forget that conversation where he said, hey, uh, I don't want to be awkward, and then thus going forth with one of the most awkward conversations of my life. We don't want to hang out with you, Clint. We liked what you have to offer on Saturday night, but here's the thing. We don't really like you. And that hurt because Christians did to me what everyone else did in my life, used me. And I had a problem with God. While they drank, I realized that, uh, I realized it was a conversation that, that needed to change. I realized there was something that really needed to change about me and there was something that really needed to change about them, but I didn't know what it was until I ran across this verse. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus says it like this. I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to 42, 44, and 46. He says, have you ever read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. This is from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. 44, the one who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces. And the one, uh, the one who, who uh, I'm sorry, the one who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces. You see, Jesus knows that we really need to change, and what really needs to change is all of us. Because Jesus wants to break us upon that cornerstone of, of, of the scriptures and his life and your communities and your cells. He wants to break you so that he can put you back together to make you more beautiful than you, and more amazing than you ever figured before. And those people in Albuquerque didn't get that. They thought that if I have my one foot in the world and I have my one foot in my life, that's just fine. I'm going to keep riding this line forever. But Jesus is going, no, because when you run across this cornerstone, you break. You run across this cornerstone, but when Jesus shows us we really need to change, well, we need to change it. And the world hates that. We've made friends with our bad decisions, but God hasn't. God's at war with those decisions, and he doesn't want to admit that we need help. The, uh, the third thing is this. The world hates Jesus because he exposes our need for help. There's a famous parable. I love this parable, and it talks about... Um, it talks about two builders build a house, and one builder builds a house in sand, and one builder builds a house on a rock. And on the rock, or on the sand, they, they, you know, he builds this wonderful little house, and the life's troubles come, and the rains come, and wash away the house, and it washes away because sand is a terrible foundation. I know this. I lived in Corpus Christi, Texas for a while, and in Corpus Christi, I would see houses that were made of sand. You know what the, the, the average level house of a house made of sand looks like was this? You'd walk in like this. It was never like a level house. You know, how you know how hard that is to not live in a level house? Have you ever tried to cook in not a level house? It was one of those things. You're like, I'll go get the stove, you know, and you're like, ah. But what happened? Oh, don't worry. That part of the house is just built on sand. I heard that so many times. You're like, then why'd you build it? If you know in a couple years you're going to have to redo it because rains come and everything, and they've come down. Jesus says if you build your house on sand, it's going to destroy. But if you build your house on a rock, guess what happens? 
The same rains will come, but you'll stand. See, Jesus exposes where we build our houses. He exposes where we built it, and he, he knows that sandcastles fall when rain hits it. And he's going, I know a better way to do it. And the world hates him for that. The world hates it. In uh, John 16, verse 33, it says, take heart, because Jesus overcame the world. The world hates it when we're connected to the vine, guys. Because the vine is a foundation crusher. It's an idol crusher. It, is, it, will get, it will destroy the world's truth about money, about relationships, about being individual, individualistic. individualistic. <laughs> And he will make, he will totally destroy everything. But here's the thing about the vine when you connect to it. It'll make your life complete. And because you're connected to the vine, the world's going to hate you. So, what's the solution to the world's hate? All right, what do we do against so much hate? That's one of my favorite. Uh, how many people, this is kind of a dated movie, but man, if you haven't seen it, you need to. How many people have seen Two Towers, Lord of the Rings? Anyone in here seen Two Towers, Lord of the Rings? So those four people I'm about to tell you a reference and, you know, make me feel super old. But there's a part in that movie when the enemies are on the gates and there's so much, there are so many enemies out there. And the, the king is sitting there and he's looking at one of the main characters and he's going, what do we do against so much hate? What do we do? And one of the main characters looks at the king and he says, we ride out and we meet it. Because you want to live in the world, you don't live a, a cowardly life. We live a, a life that rides out into the world and says, we're going to do something about it. So what are we going to do? Jesus says, in, uh, Jesus says it like this, John 15, 8, which is one of the verses that we're using in every lesson here, which I absolutely love, says this, this is to my Father's glory. What's to my Father's glory? Circle that. What, what do you want in life? I want to glorify the Father. I love my wife's Bible in this instance. I told you to splash some. Sorry, guys, I'm going to spit on you. <laughs> you know, uh, I love my wife's Bible in this instance because it's like highlighted in like three different highlights that we're, we're just looking at like the Father's glory. What do I want more than life? I want the Father's glory to shine out in the world, guys. But the vine, the, oh, sorry, 15.8, uh, to my Father's glory. That what? That you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, now, Robert's going to talk to you guys tomorrow about bearing fruit, what it looks like that. But showing yourselves to be disciples is really important to look at. Have you ever wanted to live in the world and not be a part of it? You must bear fruit. This is to God's glory. So how do we bear fruit? Good question. I love it. We connect to the true vine. Staying connected to the vine means one thing. In your Bibles or in your apps or anything, go to Romans 12, 2. 12, 2, all right? Look at something right quick. It says this. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform. Circle that conform in your Bible. That, that, that shouldn't be overlooked, all right? It shouldn't be just skimmed through. All right. Do not conform means you don't tolerate, you don't overlook, you don't participate in what the world's doing. You do not conform. It is really important. By not conforming, we are showing the world. This is the problem with, with most churches is they are conforming to what the world is like. And when you conform to the world is like being on the other side of the world, they look at that and go, oh, man, that's just a hypocrite like I thought. But when you don't conform to what the world says, when you don't conform to it, and you start changing, and the truths of God start working in your life in an amazing way, guess what? The world looks at that and goes, I don't know how that works. 
I don't know how that works. And if you want to be in the world and affect the world, but not be of the world, you can't conform to the world, all right? So do not conform, verse 2, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Not transformed once. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a transformation of every day. Now, you got to know something about me, all right? I'm stubborn, hugely stubborn, all right? Like, so stubborn that uh, I, I one time mentioned when I was, I was like a new believer. I was like a three-day-old believer. And I mentioned to the guy who was discipling me, I said, you know, I think the Bible's doctored in English. Because a three-day-old believer would know that, yeah, yeah. I, I think the Bible's doctored. And he went, okay, why don't you learn Greek? I'm so stubborn that I did. Yeah. <laughs> I majored in Greek, I've learned Greek, I've translated the whole New Testament in Greek, and guess what? Not doctored, all right? It's like, so, if you're listening to Scott Jarvis, I guess you win, all right? But anyway, what's important to look at is, is like, I love Greek, I love the words, and I think the original word for transformation is a really cool world that we need to look at. And here's the word, it's called metamorphophu. Metamorphophu, which is a fun word to say, but also... It reminds, us, reminds me of another thing. You ever heard of a metamorphosis? That's where we get the word from. You're supposed to be transformed. A metamorphosis happens. The process of a metamorphosis... A metamorph... <sighs> this is a problem for being in New Mexico. You've got weird words, all right? And so the, the problem with being with, uh, with a metamorphosis is this. It, it are, it, it, uh, not a problem, but the transformation process looks like a caterpillar transforming into a chrysalis and then it transforms into a butterfly. It doesn't happen overnight. In fact, when the caterpillar becomes a chrysalis, a cocoon, believe it or not, have you ever seen a chrysalis cocoon? You ever seen one of those? Are they beautiful? Goodness, no, they are ugly, all right? They are disgusting looking, you know? I remember looking at a kid and we had a, <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever seen a butterfly farm? You know, they used to sell them in the 80s. Like, they would sell everything in the 80s. They're like, you know, you'd get this magazine, and they're like, have your own butterfly farm. And I'd go up to my parents like, ooh, a butterfly farm. Let's see what it is, you know? And then you get it, and it'd be like the biggest disappointment of your life. Like, I remember, like, like setting up my butterfly farm, and the caterpillar is eating a leaf, and I was like, yeah. Is, is this all they do? <laughs> they, just, they just eat leaves, huh? Okay. And my mom was like, one day it's going to turn into a cocoon. Oh, does that, does that happen now? <laughs> or is it later on when the cocoon happens? <laughs> later on, Clint. Oh. This was, this was 14 bucks wasted, huh? <laughs> you know, like I remember, I remember sitting there and doing that. But the thing about a cocoon, when it did make the cocoon, it was really ugly. I was really, really shocked with how nasty that cocoon looked, you know? But when, I'll never forget too, but when the caterpillar broke out and it was no longer munching on leaves, it was a beautiful butterfly. I looked at that butterfly and I was like, it came out of that? That ugliness? It was a fat little worm that went into this cocoon of nastiness and hardship and it came out so beautiful. 
And it sounds funny, and it sounds kind of ridiculous, but you see, I had a really hard childhood. I was abused as a kid from the time I was four to the time I was 10. I was sexually abused at a, at a ranch. It was a boys' ranch that we used to live at. And I remember sitting there feeling like a fat worm. I knew what that caterpillar felt like. I even knew what the cocoon felt like. It was disgusting. But I knew what it was like to be in that area. But you know what? I never thought I would feel what it meant to fly. See, as a caterpillar, I imagine it looks up and it goes, I can't do that. And all these things are flying up here. I can't do that. And we get lost in our own little world. You got to realize the cocoon doesn't happen overnight. But when it does, it's stunning. And guys, I want you guys to be transformed from a lowly caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. I never thought I could have some of the things that I have today. And it's all because of God. I remember, if y'all haven't heard this, I haven't taught in a while or anything, but you've never heard me say this. When I was 18 years old, some dude asked me to describe hell. And I said, married, father, and a Christian. I'm all those things now. I think 18-year-old me and maybe 38-year-old me might get in a fist fight. <laughs> what did you do, old man? What you should have done, young man? You know, I imagine that conversation playing out. And I think I said those things at 18 because I never pictured I could be any of those things. And how do you become that way? Is you be transformed. Not just munch on leaves anymore. Not just munch on leaves and just do the little things you want. Munching on leaves is sin in our life. All we do is that little thing right in front of us. All I'm going to do is munch on this leaf and it's just going to be okay. That's all I want is just what's on this leaf. I don't want to think about what's on that leaf. I don't want to think that it's in that cocoon. And God forbid I don't want to fly high. I'm just going to focus on what's right here. And I'm going to eat this little leaf and I'm going to do this little thing. And I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do my thing on this leaf. I don't want to be up there. That's what the world thinks. I'm going to focus on the leaf. I'm going to say this leaf isn't a male leaf. Now it's a female leaf. But it's still a leaf. It's cool. I'm going to eat it. Or this leaf. Uh, don't worry about it. This leaf says it's okay to eat babies or kill babies. It's okay. I'm just going to eat this leaf. Oh, I'm going to do this. Uh, whatever it is that's on this leaf. The world just focuses about being on the leaf. But we don't think that way. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds. We no longer think of being a leaf on a caterpillar. Caterpillar on a leaf. I guess a leaf could be on a caterpillar. But it doesn't make sense for the thing that I'm about to say. All right? We dream of being a butterfly and flying and soaring to heights and doing things that you never thought God could do. Did you know that God can dream bigger than you? He can dream bigger than you. I talked to my wife one time. Uh, we were talking about dreams as kids. And she's like, all I dreamed when I was a kid is having a husband and having kids. That was it. And, she was, and I was like, that was all you dreamed about? She's like, that's all I dreamed about. I never thought I could be used in a church. I never thought I could disciple other people. I never thought that I could do some of these things that I thought I could do. I could not see people, and I can't, not only can I help people grow, but I could be there throughout the whole process, and I can love them on their highest heights, and I can love them on their lowest lows. She said, I never thought I could do any of those things. 
And she said, God dreams bigger than me, doesn't, she, Clint? doesn't he, Clint? And I went, yeah, baby, he does. It's really cool to see. Now our kids are starting to do that. And what's really cool, and you want to make you cry real quick, I know none of y'all have kids in here, but those of you who do have kids, when kids start dreaming God prayers, we say, God, and I love my kids' prayers because they're really funny, and they're like, Lily, if you don't know Lily, you will, because she's unapologetically her. And uh, she'll say prayers like, dear God, let everybody in my class love Jesus and love this world, and God, use me to help them. And I'm like, you're eight years old saying these prayers. That's awesome. You know why she can say those prayers? Because she has a children's ministry that helps those prayers. You guys have a ministry that will help foster those big dreams. But are you dreaming of being a caterpillar or are you dreaming of being a butterfly? What are we doing? So, it says, what do we do? So it says, you know, when we're connected to the vine, the vine will transform us, all right? So what does transformation look like? You go on in Romans chapter 12, it says this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So what does it mean to offer your bodies, all right? Good question. I think offer, the first thing you do with offer is this, I get fed up with my sin. I get fed up with my sin. By no longer living for myself, the vine's transformation process is getting fed up about being a caterpillar and realizing that you want to fly. We confess to one another that we're tired of sin holding us back. You know, here's the thing that you got to understand too, getting fed up with sin. We think that's a physical thing. Oh, if I just change my surroundings to do that, no problem. Oh, if I just get up at 5.30, I, I, could, I, could, I could change my sin. Oh, if I just change these scenarios, I change this friendship, or I change this, or I change this, or I change this. Here's the only thing that you need to change when you get fed up with sin is your mind. I'm not going to do that anymore. Your mind, that's all you got to change. That's where you get fed up. Get fed up. Um, in Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 21. I want to read that real quick. It says, so I find a law at, my, at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Verse 23. But I see another work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. It's where you mind where you need to change. So how do we change our mind? Paul did it like this at verse 25, at 725. It says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. We fix our mind on Jesus. You want to be fed up? We start changing our mind. Remember John 15, verse 7, if you remain in me, my words will remain in you. Ask. It's a really important part of that verse. Ask. A lot of us are like, okay, God, I want to change. And God's like, what do you want to change? The parts of me that I hope you missed. <laughs> no, start being specific of what you need to change. My attitude. You know, uh, one thing with me that I needed to change is I have very short attention span. I do. I mean, I can see a squirrel from a mile away and watch it, <laughs> all right? What you need to do is like, I'm going to change my attention span. I'm going to fight to stay engaged. What does that look like? I'll write, some, I'll, I'll write it. I'll write it down. 
Or what does that look like? Maybe it looks like that I'll sit, uh, sit up forward and I'm going to sit my body engaged. What does that look like? Not being on my phone. What does that look like? I don't know what that looks like for you. But you need to know what it looks like for you. That's important to do. So ask. Ask God about myself to change those things about myself. Offer it up. All right? Get fed up being the same way. Get fed up of being a lowly calipiter that just keeps eating the leaves. Second thing you do, offer up, is mean you give up yourselves. There is no, trans- whoa, there is no transformation process until you offer yourself up. Offer up, give up your sin so that you become a living sacrifice. God can bless, we already talked about God can blessing you more than you could ever imagine. You want to know my biggest fear now? This is my biggest fear. If you get nothing out of it, I get this. My biggest fear is one day giving to heaven and God showing me all the things I could have done if I just had enough faith. You want to go on a church plant? Cool. God wants to change the whole world. You want to change your city? God's thinking county. You want to change your county? God's thinking state. You want to change your state? God's thinking nation. God's dreams are always one step ahead of us. So how does God respond to us getting fed up and offering up? That's a good question. There's a story, it's one of my favorite stories. I know you hear me say that a lot in Bible, and here's the reason why. Because they're all so stinking good, all right? But Luke 15, that one has a special part, all right? It's called the prodigal. You don't know anything about the prodigal. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give a synopsis of it real quick. But man, Luke 15 is amazing. I would go back and read that. So the son and his dad, he lived with his dad. His dad was extremely rich. The son did the worst thing I think you could ever imagine to a father. All right? This prodigal guy says to his father, he looks at his dad and he says, Hey, dad, I wish you were dead so I could spend your money. Yeah. Worst thing I think you could ever say to a father. The dad, hearing it, decided, all right. He gave him his inheritance. And the son went out and he blew it all. He blew it on how he wanted to live. He, he, uh, he thought he was going to live the good life by chasing money, girls. He lived up to everything the world had to offer. And it left him broken, eating out of a trash can because he was so hungry. That's where he was. He would look at what the pigs ate. I don't know if you ever worked around pigs, but slop is never tasty. All right? It's disgusting. What slop is, if you want to know, it's everything that you have eaten that's rotten, that's all mixed together, and then you throw it out where the pigs eat, and they go crazy. This guy was looking at that and going, man, that looks pretty good. you got to be hungry for that. I don't think I've ever been that hungry. He looks at that slop, and he says, hey, Hey, you know what? Maybe if I just go back to my dad and I work for him as a hired hand. He's got a lot of hired hands. They eat better than that. I'm going to go back and I'm going to work that. This is how God responds. When God's seeing his disrespectful, lazy, arrogant son walking home far off, the father runs out to see the son. He doesn't wait for the son to get home. He runs out. You see, the moment I'm fed up, and I offer everything I have in my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it, God will meet you where you are. He will meet you where you are and transform you. Here's the thing. Here's the reason why. Because God, 
Well, because God, I don't know who God is, but I know who God is. I know who God is. God does not forget. God won't forget you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, God will not forget you. Second thing is this. Uh, the father says, bring the good clothes. Bring out the signet ring. The signet ring, we kind of mess up what that is. A signet ring is, is a pretty nice ring. All right? And in those days, they didn't have things like credit cards or anything like that. What they had were signet rings. All right? So if when I would go to the store and I would say, I want all of this, whatever it is, donkeys, I want all these donkeys right here. And they're like, how are you going to pay for it? I'm going to show them my ring and say, I'm going to pay for it on the credit of this, the ring. When I did letters, I would seal the letter with the signet ring. It was a ring that was the ring that had all the power. So in modern day terms, what the guy's saying, what the father's saying is when he, he gives his son, when he gets his son back, he said, hey, bring out the credit card. No, 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 the black one with no spending limit. Bring it out. Give it to him. Like, what? The son squandered half his estate. Why would God do something like that? Because here's the second thing. God doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't hold a grudge. Then he says something like, I always thought this was funny, bring out the fat calf, not the skinny one, bring out the fat one. We're eating ribs tonight, man, all right? We're going to have some sugar fire, we're going to have some barbecue sauce. That is my kind of celebration. God celebrates repentance and rewards it with transformation. You were made not to just live life the way you are now. We were made to live life to the fullest. Jesus says that, that's John 10.10. That's a promise. There are so many people in your lives, guys. There are so many people in your lives that are just so content being a caterpillar. They got their uh, caterpillar cash, and they got their caterpillar car, and they got their, their caterpillar clothes, and they are so content with being a caterpillar that it isn't even funny. This fat little worm that has no idea the world is bigger in it, that the world can look at it, and all caterpillars are good for is prey, usually. They have no clue that they can turn into something that can fly. And when we start flying, and we start flying high, people of the world look up and they go, how are you doing that? Recently, this happened yesterday. I was debating on sharing this, but I think I will. I go to schools and I talk about my sexual abuse and my addiction, and you know, talk about kids about warning signs, how they get out of it and everything. And I just taught about being, you know, ab about being abused. I taught about that the day before. And I talk about when, I, when I'm being abused, we give them some areas to stay safe and all this stuff. And this kid came up to me. <sighs> Man, came up to me. And he said, my mom's mad at you. And I went, uh-oh, okay, why? And she said, someone like you shouldn't be teaching kids. Someone like you that, and I was just like, whoa, okay, tell me how you really feel. He said, you're an addict and you're abused as a kid. You have no place with being with children is what his mom said. And I went, she's right. I said, that's how good my God is. I hope I get fired over that. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be an even better preacher story, but you know. But I'll never forget you looking at him going, I'll never forget how, just going, how, I, that's my God, man. My God uses people like me. I can't explain it. 
That's an example of a caterpillar looking at a butterfly going, I don't know how you're doing like that, but you need to come down and start eating some leaves. And I'm going, I'm never coming down. Never coming down. Don't settle, guys. Don't settle. Don't settle. The vine can transform you. My question is this, and then we're going to end on this. Do you care that God wants to transform you and make you fly? That God can make you fly so high that you never knew what the ground looked like because you flowed so far and so high that the world is just like, wow, do you care about that? Are you just happy being a caterpillar? Let's say a prayer. God, I love you. I love you, God. I pray you used a knucklehead. But God, more than anything, I pray that you changed hearts. God, I pray that we no longer just settle being a caterpillar, God, that we settle being a butterfly because, God, you want us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. God, I pray the world looks at every person here. Now, scratch that. God, what I pray is I pray that every person here in this room truly transforms, Father God. And God, I pray so much, God, this is a scary prayer. I pray that you search us and the parts of us that need to change, Father God, that you bring those to the front and that you cut it out and that we are truly transformed, Father God. That God, I pray that the high school ministry in particular for every group that's here, that God, their buildings can't hold them, Father God, because there's butterflies flying everywhere. And God, knowing that, the world is gonna to try to bring us down. My prayer for these guys and for us is that, God, they realize that no rope can hold us down because, God, you rose from the dead. You've overcome the world. If we abide in you and remain in you, you are with us. Father, God, help us fly. In your magnificent, holy name I pray. Amen.